Hi there, this is Christian Horner. You've won the Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> Hi guys, it's here. Hi, I'm Max Verstappen, and you're listening to the Aston Martin Rebel Racing Podcast. Oh, this feels good. <laughs> Hello, this is Talking Ball, the official Aston Martin Red Bull Racing podcast. Throughout this series, we're going to be taking you behind the scenes at the track, in the paddock and at the factory and giving you full access to the team. On this edition of the podcast, we'd like to focus our attention on our fantastic live demo team. They show off the car on racing circuits, on city streets and at festivals and exhibitions, often playing to crowds measured in hundreds of thousands. They give fans the chance to witness the contained ferocity of a Formula One car at very close quarters. F1 is a great sport for TV, but there's no substitute for the ear-splitting roar of the engine, the haze of tyre smoke and the aroma of burning rubber. Our racing drivers and the Red Bull Junior team take turns to pilot the live demo car, but from time to time we've been lucky enough to have special guests behind the wheel. World champions Alan Prost and Damon Hill have both demonstrated the noble art of the donut and the burnout, and we've also let loose Hollywood superstar Tom Cruise. Coming up, we'll be speaking with Tony Burrows and Mark Willis, who run point on our show runs. We're going to hear from our number one mechanic, Mark Lenton. Plus, we'll have an exclusive track from Floors to Finish. First, though, it only feels right we speak to the driver that's appeared on more show runs than any other. Tom caught up with David Coulthard. Can you remember the first ever live demonstration you did with the Red Bull Share Run team? Oh, actually, I, I knew you were going to ask me about the running show cars, but I don't actually remember the very first uh, show run. It was probably um, at Hangar 7 in, uh, in Austria, which is the, uh, anyone who, who is in Salzburg or knows well the Red Bull journey, they'll know that uh, Dietrich Mateschitz has his private collection of aircraft housed there and other memorabilia. And um, we, we did a, a, a little demonstration on the apron uh, for some filming early doors. But over the years, we've been to South Africa, South America, the Americas, uh, all, all across Europe, you know, been to some amazing places to, to be able to demonstrate and show uh, just the power of Formula One. You know, you still keep quite a crazy schedule now even though you're not racing anymore um, and although you're not in a car to race anymore you do still find yourself in a Formula 1 car quite often don't you? Yeah it's great to, to still be part of the Rebel Racing family is something I'm, I'm very proud of and I think reflects well on on the Red Bull ethos of if you've played a role and, and, and contributed then you're a part of the family and I think that uh, I only raced for the team for four years but I think that the role I was able to play as a driver and in collaboration with, with Christian and, and helping sow the seeds of, of the early structure of the team is reflected in the fact that I, I still have that relationship and uh, although I'm 10 years retired and 10 kilos heavier uh, they thankfully have released the, the uh, suit's uh, tightness a little bit and enables me to jump back in the car at various events around the globe and for me it's a real pleasure because not only does it remind me of uh, the complexities of a Grand Prix car and the challenge of driving them even if it's only in a demonstration and I think that helps my broadcasting I also um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to go to some amazing venues sometimes several years before a Grand Prix is ever there You've touched on it there just how truly global our show car program is Can you think of where possibly the most extreme or weirdest place you've ever uh, found yourself driving a Formula 1 car? Well, it's been a real journey of discovery. I went to Bogota in Colombia with uh, the running show car event and I would never 
typically have found myself heading there. Uh, so I discovered that uh, it's altitude, which threw up its own challenges because we were struggling at the altitude, you have less power. And it was actually quite difficult to get the car to do donuts. And a lot of these running show car events are in quite tight spaces, so it's important that you've got a feeling of some, some control. And I also found out that they don't have a drainage system there in, in, in as much that rainwater, it just sort of comes into the streets and then it finds its way, I don't know, into the undergrowth or something. They don't have a classic drain. So you've got to be careful if you have a downpour. But I think the possibly the craziest one in terms of numbers was in Argentina, which we, you know, my first ever pole position was in Argentina and in 1995 and they have a racing history there so the real fan base and it's quite a European mix for a South American country so we had close to 100,000 people come out to watch a Formula One car be demonstrated on the streets Incredible and you did mention then like you're often in quite tight confines where you have to try to perform and do donuts and uh, quite tight turning circles have you ever had any close calls while at a show run? Yeah I remember in Barcelona we, we did a demonstration up at the old Grand Prix track which which is up above, um, I'm trying to remember the name, sorry, is it Montjuic, um, which is where they had the Olympics, actually, in, in Barcelona as well. And so the, the, the circle for turning at one end was probably only about four metres wide, and a Grand Prix car is four metres long. So you had to be right up against the barrier when you whipped it round, um, so pretty close. But, you know, that's all part of the challenge and obviously safety is an important aspect when we're doing these demonstrations um, but you're not at very high speed in a lot of the occasions but it's about getting people as close to the car as possible and whether they're old fans or whether they're new fans who just found themselves stumbling across the, the events we, we want them to engage with Formula One and, and be, you know, long-term fans. You must have collected a lot of stamps in your passport. Do you know the exact number of how many countries you've been to in your lifetime? I don't actually know the exact number, but I've, I've, I've been very lucky to have travelled the world extensively through Formula One and um, you know across the continents and to some um, very sort of off-the-beaten-path places. And to do it as a let's say a, a rebel racing ambassador to do it um, on behalf of Formula One of course means that you're you're well you know you're well looked after when you're at the event so it's a bit of a magic carpet ride and on a lot of occasions but the the reassuring thing for me on my my journey is as wonderful as the world is and I would recommend travel to, to anyone who gets that chance there's no place like home and home is where your heart is or where your your your, your, your life has, has been established so um, I, I love to go and travel but it reminds me just how content I am in the place where I live Is there anywhere in the world we haven't been to yet where you'd love to see Formula 1 go for the first time? Well I think it'd be quite nice to go to Hawaii I've, I've been to Hawaii personally but I think we should we'd either do a running show car run there or, or have a Grand Prix there um, get some nice, nice beaches for afterwards um, Formula 1 is a truly global sport and business, and I think it reflects everyday business in many ways because it's it's about standing out within your 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 group that you're competing against, and it's about surviving. You know, surviving the the tough economics of running a Grand Prix team and maintaining success. So I don't think there's many places that Formula One hasn't touched on or doesn't have a reach to. Um, and that's something that if I reflect on my choices as a youngster and the opportunities that were given to me, then I'm 
delighted, of course, that it involved motor racing and especially Formula One. And some of our listeners might not actually be aware, but we use our um, RB7 and RB8 primarily as our show cars. Um, what can you tell us about these cars? Like, they're basically beasts to drive, right? Yeah, to drive a Grand Prix car is a, is a privilege. They're light, they're powerful. Uh, they don't have any of the complexities of the modern hybrid Formula One cars, which are actually quite heavy, you know, 730 kilos. Uh, the, the cars we use at the demo runs, um, they don't have any of the CARES system fitted, so that makes them even lighter, and we don't have to run to FIA regulations. So they're, they're very nimble, and I think uh, it was a, a great period for Formula One because, you know, the base weight of the car was 605 kilos, which is pretty impressive when you consider you... You know, you had the capacity to rev the engine to 18,000 RPM and be, you know, putting out high 800 horsepower. Both uh, V8 engines that make an incredible sound and both world championship winning cars. Um, do they have any different characteristics? For show running, not particularly, because again, we're not exploiting the, the full aerodynamic potential of the car. Uh, if you put them on track, then clearly. You know, RV8 would be more advanced because of the development process that these cars go through. But in terms of jumping in and, and doing the events, it's, they're both equally loud, they're both equally impressive, I think, for, for people who are seeing a Grand Prix car for the first time. And they're both a privilege to have that chance to drive because, it, as you mentioned, the, the DNA is in world championships. And you don't beat the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren if you haven't got a quality team. And I think that period for Rebel Racing was quite exceptional where they had four back-to-back -back constructors and drivers championships. We touched on it earlier that there's often gigantic crowds at these show runs and we've just mentioned how loud those V8 engines are. Can you actually hear the crowd when you're in the cockpit while you're in the middle of a donut or is it just uh, white noise? Yeah, you, you can. It's so loud in the car and also your focus is very much on where you are with the car and, and, and making sure that you have a, a safe run. Uh, you see them, but you don't hear them. The crew usually have fire extinguishers at the ready at, at these live demos. Um, has there uh, ever been any situation where you've seen uh, a car actually catch on fire while you've been in there? Yeah, in Luxembourg we were doing a demonstration and the car went on fire and I could see it. And I was trying to drive back to where the marshal's post was so they could put it out quickly. Uh, which I managed to do, but we had quite a fire on the side of the car. And it's, it's not unusual to, at the end of the final demo, when you're really taking the engine, you know, we can run the engine up to 120 degrees because it's a pressurised system. So the exhausts get incredibly hot at that point, and you do tend to get some sort of localised bodywork fires, but they're, they're sacrificial areas that are there really to make sure we, we keep the demonstration going as long as it can. You know, it must be a bit of a nightmare sometimes for the show run team, um, all the logistical side of things, um, weather is another factor, even bringing old Formula One cars through customs must be a bit of a battle sometimes. Can you think of any situations that uh, the show car team have found themselves in where, you know, you thought maybe a show run wasn't going to happen at last minute or anything like that? We've been in some pretty extreme places, you know, driving the, the car... Uh, when we were in uh, Petra, you know, driving the car through, uh, well, ultimately a, a sort of desert uh, was, was challenging. You can imagine sucking all the sand in and, you know, the, just the dust everywhere around the car. It is extreme conditions. You know, the guys are not dealing with proper garages. They're, they're having to, you know, take in the back of vehicles uh, all the equipment that's necessary to run these cars so I don't take it for granted at all how lucky we are to first of all be given the permissions to come to the countries and do the demonstrations but uh, I think that 
Uh, yes, there's an element of this, of course, which is a, a, a marketing strategy from Red Bull Racing, but in many ways it's a, it's a gift to the public of the various countries that we go to that we bring a Formula One car, uh, one of the fastest forms of circuit racing in the world, and put it right in the middle of their cities. And you know, we've even seen on occasions where we've gone into a country and, and done a live demo and then they've ended up hosting Grand Prix um, in the not too distant future. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we drove the Formula One car for the first time in Austin before the, the track was completed. Uh, Baku, we drove along the waterfront even before the, it was announced the Grand Prix would be going there. So uh, I'm curious to see that if that works for South Africa when we go there end of May, beginning of June. Uh, of, of this year it will be interesting to see if we end up having a Grand Prix again there Do you still get a massive thrill when you jump behind the wheel of an F1 car even if it is just for a live demo and do you see yourself uh, stopping anytime soon? Well I think it's one of those things that as long as you're invited to do it uh, and certainly the way my mind is I'll not turn down that opportunity because it's a great reminder and it's a privilege to j jump in a Grand Prix car there's there's been very few people ever have the chance to, to race a Grand Prix car never mind uh, be part of a world championship winning team like, like Red Bull Racing and to travel around promoting the cars. But I guess there'll be a point where I, you know, either my suit doesn't fit anymore or I just, you know, 10 years away from driving, there'll be a point where naturally someone else is a, a better fit. Just before we finish, DC, would you mind telling our listeners where you actually find yourself right now and what you're doing here? Well, we're on the 62nd floor, I think, or the 72nd floor in Hanoi, looking out across the site of where the first Vietnamese Grand Prix will be hosted. Uh, we're in the executive lounge here, which is probably why you can hear a little bit of uh, you know, hustle and bustle and, and teas, teas and coffees getting made. Um, and we're about to go out and face the intense heat, which if they have the Grand Prix in this sort of weather, that's really going to push the drivers hard. So we're going to head over to where the track will be and we have a running show car event and then tonight we'll, we'll have a DJ set as well which is going to attract tens of thousands of people. So looking forward to continuing to promote Formula One. Thanks for your time, DC. Thank you. Thanks, DC. Great to hear from you on the podcast. He mentioned it there. All Formula One cars now use a V6 hybrid turbo engine, but on the show runs, we use our RB7 car, which have a V8 engine. They have a very distinctive sound, which adds to the experience for all the spectators. Now, we want to give you a sense of the sound a live demo has to offer. So shut your eyes and have a listen to our RB7 firing up here. satisfying sound. Here it is with just a few revs. Now, get ready. This is the RB7 opening up at full speed. Imagine being there for that. They sound incredible. As well as a great driver, we have a pretty exceptional team for these show runs. Tom went to catch up with Tony Burrows and Mark Willis, who put the whole experience together. I'm here with two people that are possibly the envy of the entire factory here in Milton Keynes and Red Bull Racing. Um, arguably have the best jobs in the factory. Tony, Wincy, can you boys just run me through quickly what it is that you guys do? My name's Tony Burrows and I'm the support team manager at Red Bull Racing. 
part of my job is to manage the show car uh, side of things as well. So um, yeah, we do testing of the current car and travel the world with our historic cars and, and show off to the public. And Wincy Tony just touched on it there, mate. Um, it's not just about the marketing factor and the uh, live demonstrations. You still have quite an important functional role as well as the race support team. Yeah, we still support the races. We go out and uh, cover for any guys that are off sick or, or have other commitments. Also, we're going to the testing. So it's a lot going on throughout the year, apart from apart from doing the glory show runs. Tony, do you remember the very first time that uh, we as Red Bull Racing did uh, one of these live demonstrations? You've, you've been here from the very beginning. I've got a feeling it was um, when we opened a tunnel in Switzerland. I, I believe it was one of the longest tunnels in Europe at the time. Whether it still is or not, I'm not sure. But that was great fun. Uh, it was good to get uh, get out there for the first time with Red Bull. And how have things changed uh, from back then to now? Like, as you say, you're a very professional outfit. You're actually supporting uh, in Formula One testing on the current car as well. But whenever there are some gaps that allow for it in the calendar, we, we take you guys out to do some live demonstrations. So how has the setup changed from back then to now? I think now it's, it's a lot bigger. Um, the, the, the whole team's a lot bigger and their ambitions of what we want to do, especially regarding show runs, is a lot bigger. I mean, we've done some fantastic shows we wouldn't have dreamed of doing years ago, you know, uh, running cars on helipads on beaches on frozen ice um, through deserts you name it we, we go to the extreme now which is it's fantastic to be part of that anyway as you mentioned we take the car to some pretty extreme places altitude snow ice sand what are some of the challenges associated with keeping a fleet of formula one cars operational for these live demos and and which cars do we actually use for this we've got two rb7s and an rb8 that we use for these show runs uh, they're just great cars with the the old v8s they have very stable very solid the cars are very reliable they're not as delicate as they are now we've beefed them up a little bit we run the cars quite high we we fit fans onto them so because they're moving a lot slower uh, on show car events and you haven't got the air cooling running through over the radiators to keep the engines cool so we fit fans on them which are not on the standard formula one cars other than that it's pretty much as it as it finished running i mean uh, basically um, yeah as soon as we took it off the track polish it check the ride heights up and uh, take it on the road and wincy what sort of crew do, you, do we have to take out to um these live demonstrations is, is there a number of people that come with the car yeah well, i mean we take a very small crew compared to what the race team carry these days basically we'll have three mechanics um, a logistics guy a team manager and a, and a couple of marketing people but it's 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 a lot less than what a race team take uh, but it's enough for what we need i want to talk quickly with both of you about the Kitzbull run that Max Verstappen did a couple of years ago, which in my mind is possibly one of the most extreme things we've ever done. How exactly did we pull that off? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how we pulled that off. Um, it was some big thinking by Austria and, and what they wanted to do and what they wanted to achieve. I think they had, they had more of a vision on how it was going to pan out than what we did. I think we went there very, uh, very nervous and, and not sure how it was going to work out. But yeah, I mean, the first day we tried to tried to run the car, it just went nowhere. We got about 20 feet out of the garage and just sunk in the snow and wasn't going anywhere else. So overnight, they had some snow chains made locally. Uh, and then we spent the next night modifying the car to fit the snow chains, um, which, which wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be. So it involved taking quite a lot of the brake ducts off, trimming the floor, um, just doing stuff that we wouldn't normally do to just get the car to run with the snow chains. But finally, it all came together. Were you a bit nervous watching Max get quite close to the edge there in a, in a Formula One car? The first time he had to drive off the edge of the mountain down the bottom of the ski slope, 
I was hesitant about sending him. We sent him and it was fine, but yeah, it was very uh, daunting watching him disappear over the edge, hoping he was going to come back. And Tony, from sand and snow to ice, you know, there's been quite a few surfaces we've driven the car on, even in a helipad. Um, what's, what, in your mind, is the craziest show run you've, you've ever been a part of? There's been several. I mean, we've driven on beaches in the Caribbean, which was a difficult surf. You'd think it'd be quite soft running on sand, but it, it's very abrasive. It's like rubbing sandpaper on a tyre. A couple of runs up and down, you're down to the canvas and you have to change the tyres again before they pop. So that was, that was quite an awkward one. Driving up the mountains, we went up the Himalayas, you know, and you, you, you're running at 18,000 feet and everyone's struggling to breathe. You've got oxygen bottles with you. The engine's just barely keeping alive. Uh, that was quite an extreme one. Um, frozen lakes in Canada in winter when it's minus 10, and then you're trying to just keep the cars warm instead of trying to keep them cool, which is what you seem to be doing the rest of the year. There you're just trying to keep it warm enough so the axles will turn and not freezing. Um, so um, yeah, we had studied tyres on the car there and uh, yeah, all great fun, uh, really memorable events to be part of. And obviously the RB7 during its racing days was a, a phenomenal car, world championship winning car. What, what about that car makes it so resilient and so well suited to uh, being a showrun car? They were a lot simpler than they are now. I mean now they're so complex, they seem to be so complex and, and the, the limits that they're built to are so finite that, that you'll be able to run up a mountain with the RB15, I don't think, not without doing some major changes to it. And the engines were a lot simpler, just a basic V8 engine compared to the hybrids that we've got now. Um, that'll run in anything with V8. You know, we, we, we've run in, as I say, in freezing cold temperatures, roasting hot temperatures, sand, dust storms, you name it, we've, we've run in it and uh, they'll handle everything. Obviously, for, for both of you two, when, when you're there, um, safety has to be paramount, not just for the driver in the car, but also often there's quite large crowds there. What, what are some of the things you guys have to do to make sure that uh, the show run is safe? Oh, we have to make sure that the road is clear and stable and there's no big potholes. You know, we weld down the manhole covers so they don't get sucked up. Uh, there's barriers, double barriers down the length of the track to keep the people back. What is the best reaction you've ever seen from, from a fan in the crowd, you know? And is that what makes this job like sort of so rewarding for you guys? The, uh, the crowd in Zandvoort in Holland is quite big uh, and they're loud when, when Max does his events there. Uh, that's quite good to listen to. But a lot of the crowds around the world do love hearing the V8 um, and there is a big cheer every time. You can't hear it, then when the engine turns off, you just hear this massive, massive cheer from the crowd. Yeah, you just get uh, all sorts of reactions from, um, as, he, as he says, just people cheering to, to some people just getting hysterical. I think they just get overwhelmed by it and they'll just stand there just screaming and crying. <laughs> but I think sometimes you can get overwhelmed by the, just the, the smell of the tyre rubber, the noise. I mean, it is intense, especially on a street circuit where the sounds trap between buildings. And some people it just gets a bit too much for them. Are you guys able to single out a particular run you've done, a favourite destination you've ever been to? Uh, and that might be hard to pick just one. Yeah, I mean, there's many. Uh, there's some iconic ones. You know, the car driving past the Bellagio with the fountains going at night, um, with the crowd completely unaware of what was going on. Um, I mean, sat in the camera car following that and seeing people's faces as they're walking past me night out, seeing that, it's, just, it's quite incredible. But yeah, they're thinking they're in a dream. Ones. Yeah, thinking they're in a dream, yeah, yeah. Ones that do stick out is uh, going up the Kaldungla Pass in the Himalayas, you know, where you're, you're at 18,000 feet. Uh, the, the view is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you're at the border between India, China and Pakistan. It's the highest road in the world, knowing that you're running on the highest possible road in the world is uh, 
it is quite phenomenal. And then racing through the deserts in Jordan and helipads in the Burj Al Arab, you know, being part of that, you know, it was just, um, there's just so many of them. Have you uh, ever had any close calls? I guess Kitzbühel would have been one of the moments where you just sat there and thinking, you know, this isn't going to happen, this isn't going to be possible. Yeah, sometimes it's when uh, spectators, uh, sometimes they get a bit out of control and you end up with army, police and everything trying to keep them in control. Obviously we will never send the car unless we're 100% sure that not only the driver's going to get hurt, hurt is uh, that the spectator's not going to get hurt themselves. So there's been um, many times and also weather. Sometimes we've sent him out there in absolutely torrential conditions and he's just poodling along in first gear just so the fans see something because they've stood out in, in a monsoon for hours, wait, us waiting for it to dry. So yeah, the weather and, uh, and spectators are about two things that would stop a run, I think. We had to stop an event in Oman in the Middle East through rain and a storm once. Um, so we managed to get out, do one run and one donut and had to stop because it was not safe enough for the spectators. I mean, you've touched on it there, we sort of do two different types of runs. Sometimes we'll be there on a filming project and obviously there's also the live fan experience runs that we do. Which type of runs are more difficult? Is it more tricky when you have a film crew there telling you we just need to get the perfect shot, we need the perfect shot, or are those crowd elements more difficult? The filming events usually end up being longer days because the, uh, the directors usually want to be running at sunrise and sunset are the two parts of the day where they get the best shots because the light is right. But it doesn't mean that we're off between that. So we usually you're up at four o'clock, you're getting the, uh, the, the daybreak shot of the car driving. Then you'll go to various events during the day driving, getting film footage in, uh, you know, could be anywhere in the city or, or out in the desert. And then for the evening shot, they'll want to be somewhere else. So you can have days where you're working from 4 a.m. until midnight. It does get a bit tough, those ones, but still great fun. And, you know, we've been to so many places, but there, is there anywhere on the map which you've circled and said, one day, if only we could go there, I'd love that? I think it'd be great to see some more of Africa. I mean, we've done South Africa, which was fantastic, uh, but it'd, it'd be great to see a, a, a few more uh, different parts of Africa. We've done pretty much the whole of South America, all of Europe and most of Asia. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, Africa is probably untouched for us at the moment. I'd go with that. Africa needs a bit more, a uh, bit more seen too. And uh, Antarctica, that's the only continent we've not <laughs> been to. So one yeah. day somebody will think of a reason and a way of getting there. So, so bring that one on as well. It'd be nice to tick off the last continent. Yeah, yeah. And then that will only leave the moon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. Yeah, <laughs> there is a plan in place, yeah. Top secret. Um, and just before we finish, um, what, what is the next run you guys are off on? We're, we're testing with, uh, obviously, with the RB15 in Barcelona next week. Yeah, we've got Max's fan day at Zanvoort coming up yeah. and a show run in yeah. South Africa. Yeah, back to Cape Town again. Yeah. Uh, and then on to, I think, Denmark, isn't it? Denmark and then maybe something in America of England once. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's busy, it's full on. But you wouldn't change it for anything? No, got the best job in the world. More sunshine events rather than snow, cold ones, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there weren't many arguments for the Caribbean show run, guys. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. No, thank you, my pleasure. Thanks, boys. We look forward to seeing the footage of you all over the world and possibly the moon in the near future then. As you've heard, we've been to every inhabited continent with the live demo team, from cobbled city streets in Europe to baking deserts in the Americas. We've conquered the highest road in the Himalayas, skated on frozen rivers in Canada, and drifted across golden Caribbean beaches. With that comes the challenge of actually getting the RB7 car 
cars to these remote locations. We wanted to get our number one mechanic, Mark Lenton, on the podcast so he can talk you through the process. We always take two cars to an event, um, one spare car and one, uh, one actual running car. This is because we don't run a spares package, um, so if anything goes wrong, we've always got a substitute car to go to. So we pack the cars in Milton Keynes in three boxes. We have to break the cars down a little bit to get them into these boxes because they're special size to fit in any aircraft. It's very tight getting them out. We're playing with about five millimeters of distance between the front and rear of the car. So position forklift driving is all that matters. Our next step is to unpack the cars um, and assemble all the components. Generally takes around about nine hours to unpack the car and build them complete, ready for fire up. Thanks, Mark. That's almost it for this edition of Talking Ball. We wanted to leave you with some exclusive music from Floors. They're massive in the Red Bull Racing Garage at the moment, and we think you're going to like their latest tune, When We Were Young. We'll be back very soon with more action from the track, the paddock, and the factory. Until then, take care. I was right on the money, all this glitter and gold. It just keeps everyone worth looking for. So stop if you're honest, ready or not. You tick all the boxes, but wish you were something you Sunny will we become?